Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. Our first exercise here in the Eccentric Minute is the K-Box Squat. This is the granddaddy of all of them, guys. One that we use at all levels of our training with a vast array of athletes. A couple big tips. I like to use a, something for our hands to support it. Make sure that strap is completely taut to the top. Don't leave it short. Don't leave it long. What I really like the most about it, guys, the iso-inertial wheel, we're going to use this with other squats as well. The other squats are working to depth. These, we're going to get to an athletic position and work our way up. Push hard and make sure you're fighting to hit that breaking force. As we cut reps, we usually cut depth as well to make it a little bit more transferable to what we do. This is an awesome exercise that I can't recommend enough. Throw it in your training. It's going to be great for you and your athlete. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Before we get to the show, let's play a little game of name association. When I say the names Hank Krasenhoff, Dr. Natalia Verkashensky, Brett Bartholomew, Dr. Charlie Weingroff, Dr. Brian Mann, and Dr. Fergus Connolly, what do you think? Well, if the answer to that was they each have multiple lectures in the Strength Coach Network, then you would be right. On top of these sensational lectures from these six world leaders, we have well over 100 additional lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world, along with an extremely active forum where there's coaches from all over the world discussing everything in the strength and conditioning world. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPs that's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S to dive into all that great content today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of being able to sit down and discuss the transfer of training when it comes to speed in athletics with Jonas Dodu. Guys, after a quick little intro, Jonas dives right into his ideas of projection, reactivity, and switching, and the, even getting into the role of the weight room when it comes to assisting these aspects of movement. This is going to lead him right into the idea of transducing force as opposed to absorbing it, absorbing it, what that means, why it's important, and what are some things that we can do to help athletes be better with this. He then discusses with us how all of this fits into the rehab world and how it impacts how he works with these injured athletes to assist them to return back to competition. Jonas then runs down the rabbit hole of coaching and communication and why he feels he's had some success with these subsets in the field of coaching and strength and conditioning. We then discuss the mental aspects of training speed and where Jonas sees it as a limitation and a way that you can enhance performance and enhance the results that you get with your athletes. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Jonas, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Hey, thanks for having me on board. Awesome, man. I'm so stoked to have you here. Really fired up for this. For the the person who maybe lives under a rock. And Where are you at? What you doing, brother? What you up to right now? Um, I am, I'm a coach. I'm first and foremost a coach. I always have been a coach. Um, and, and I started in rugby, but now my priority is, is track and field. And it has been for, I, I feel really old now actually, cause it has been for 13 years now. Um, but I, I consult in, in rugby and football. Um, and, uh, I, uh, do a lot of rehab 
with with special cases. Often, if people are broken and there repeat injuries and 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 clubs uh, feel like they can't fix them, then they come to me. So I'm I'm almost a last resort. Um, but apart from that, I'm a dad and and I'm turning into a fat coach. So so I need to sort myself out. But apart from that, yeah, that's that's me. A dad and a fat coach. It sounds like you're you know one IPA away from being in America. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Jonas, when the name Jonas Dodu comes up, the first thing people think about is speed and training things that matter when it comes to speed. Let's mm. talk about that a bit. In your experience through rugby and athletics, where do you see the things that matter? Um... The things that matter, I mean, it all depends what we're talking about. I, I think the things that matter are always going to be based on movement efficiency um, and just being really clear on, um, on uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a simpleton. So I, I always summarize things into pre um, projection, reactivity and switching. Um, and I think we ha- there's a lot of research in, in in you know acceleration and and in um, Olympic lifts and throws and jumps and and more coming out on ACL um, and control of, of lateral of your center of mass in a lateral fashion and and it always comes down to your your body's ability to project um, project your center of mass outside or project it up or or away from where you're coming from um, and a lot of our um, a lot of our goals in the, in, a, in a weight room are about developing the muscle mass around our hips and our, our legs, our thighs, so we can project. And a lot of our um, our core and our trunk goals, our ability to control our spine and control our trunk so we can orientate, we can direct where we want to project ourselves or not where we don't want to go. Um, so a lot of the time it comes down to projection as, as one of our key goals. Uh, reactivity. The need to um, to transduce energy. We talk about producing energy for our hips and maybe transducing energy, re- um, recycling energy through our tendons through the ground. Um, and so we we end up speaking a lot about the feet, a, a lot about foot posture, um, and a lot about the structures around the ankle that support transduction of energy or just recycling of energy. And then what we don't talk about a lot, and I think what Franz Bosch has brought to really, really to everyone's mouths and everyone's talking about it and playing around with it is uh, switching or limb exchange. Um, and, and actually the real role of a, of a stable lumbar pelvis or the real role of, um, of our trans abdominus and our obliques in, in the ability to um, help us optimize and maximize limb exchange. And so this is an area that I, I've started focusing on a lot eight or nine years ago um, and and actually, it seems like the SNC world and the physical performance world is is now becoming really really fashionable. Maybe over the past three or four years. So, in the simplest way of looking at the world, I think if you can understand how the body can produce energy um, and project itself, how it can uh, how it can recycle energy and be reactive, and what the role of limb exchange is in supporting that mechanism and maybe enhancing that mechanism, I think that is that is a really nice and easy place to start. Um, and then you can put all, all different types of training, all different types of philosophies um, into that box. Does that make sense? I love it because you just dropped something <laughs> that I have been arguing about 
with myself and probably some other people for a long time. And you didn't say the body's ability to absorb force. You said the transduction of energy. Mm. Let's run down Mm. that rabbit hole, my friend, because I think that that's something that a lot of people need to start opening their minds to when it comes to how we train these athletes to, to move. Okay, okay. What specifically? What should we talk about? Well, transduction. Let's define that first. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know a pure definition, but I, I think really it's about, you know, if you whack the ground really hard um, and your foot's not in the right place, um, and perhaps your the the rest of your joints, your your hip, your knee, um, your ankle aren't ready to essentially communicate and and fire in the right sequence, then you produce a lot of force. You will end up absorbing a lot of that force. Some of it will be wasted in noise and kinetic energy, um, but a lot of it won't be given back to you. Whereas the you know you might end up whacking the ground really hard and your ankle's in the right place. Um, the you, you may be really good at initiating that. Uh, hit, whack of the ground, but already start to um, withdraw your foot from the ground in in maybe the first half of the ground contact, um, and and the the joints may be stacked in a way, and the, the tension in the in the muscle in well essentially the tension in the muscle group that allows the tendon to be stiff and and be able to um, uh, take energy uh, is all in the right place, and essentially you can get a lot back from the ground. Um, so I think there's a there's a lot difference there's a big difference between um, hitting the ground and absorbing energy and and, and actually hitting the ground and, and getting a lot back. A thousand percent. So now we're looking at how we move technically, putting ourselves yeah. in the right positions, yeah. having the muscular strength for the tendons to be able to be elastic, and yeah. produce that stretch shortening cycle to produce the force in the movement we're asking them to produce. Exactly. And, and then more, and then the last part of that is orientating it in the in the direction you want to go. Because yeah. there's no point in being in bouncy and being and being elastic if all you're doing is going up and down and not going forwards. If that's the goal. Yeah, unless you're just some sort of trampoline gymnast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or maybe you're a high jumper, right? Yeah. Um, but if we're, if we're talking about speed and we're talking about running fast, then. Um, you know, I mean, even in the case of a high jump, you, you're you are still trying to um, orientate. It's just the direction of your orientation is different. So, yeah, you're right. Um, I, I, but either way, it's what is the desired direction you want to go in? Um, and and are, have you organized your body, your center of mass and, and actually the timing of firing to make sure you go in that direction? I see plenty of guys run over wickets and they look pretty, man. They look pretty. They hit all the KPIs, but they're running slow. They don't, they, actually, they don't actually know how to orientate themselves forwards. So, uh, you know, run, running over wickets for me is a really important uh, piece of the puzzle. It, 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 it's a constraint that allows people to figure out how to organize their ground, um, air to ground ratios and how to essentially be reactive. Um, but you, you need to make sure you're, you're challenging them with those wickets. You're giving them um, real good spacings and you're giving them a real good um, acceleration zone coming into the wickets to make sure they know how to organize their body make all the right shapes, but do it at 11 and a half meters per second. Um, I think there's, there's two big differences there. Yeah, because, you know, the minute you make things move faster, all of a sudden everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, I mean, simply, you know, I think 
being able to project yourself, especially as a coach, being able to summarize things into projection, reactivity and switching um, makes it far easier to then organize your training menu, makes it far easier to start to understand what are your goals and how you manipulate in your environment and, and your athlete to reach your goals. And I think that looking at those three, that's a pretty interesting triangle when it comes to this return to performance, rehab, fixing stuff that you're doing with athletes as well. For sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, with the rehabbers, um, the, the difficulty is that often, um, you know, I'm, I'm usually dealing with rehab that's below below the below the belt essentially so ankles knees hips um and and with those guys as soon as you have some kind of or with any of us as soon as you have some kind of injury or some kind of trauma um your your body down regulates its firing um so a lot of the time figuring out how to um wake up the system and make it feel safe and make it feel confident to whack the ground really hard and then retract the limb off the floor really quickly to do it again. Um, that's 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 where uh, sometimes you find a bit of a barrier. And and then so encouraging and finding ways to encourage that to happen, um, or maybe rebuilding areas that have atrophied and and so it's really unable to make that happen. And dealing with the compensations and and, and although this might sound weird, helping them create some some more compensations to deal with this new limb that is maybe um, missing some muscle mass or missing some tendon or whatever it is, the, uh, you know, low in bone health, um, find, helping them find effective strategies that are relatively healthy, that, that becomes um, what we end up doing most of the time. And I think that that's something that a lot of people in the performance realm have a hard time with because of kind of that limitation that some of us may have when it comes to what our scope of practice is? Yeah, I think um, we, or I, I was taught, my, you know, my degree and my master's, I was taught about systems and about different ways of training and, 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 um, and all the different kit out there, but I was never really taught how to spot movement. I, was, I wasn't really taught how to coach movement. Um, and I found that the coaches that were really good at communicating with athletes and coaching movement, um, had learned it or had been, yeah, had learned it essentially, um, quite intuitively. It was already part of their character. When I was playing rugby, I was the, um, I often found myself as a translator for my coach. He would be coaching the group and he'll say X, Y, and Z, and maybe half the group would get it, but half of us wouldn't. And I would end up being the one that turned around and said, OK, well, what he means is this and what he means is that um, and put yourself in this position and put yourself in that. And so I think I fell into coaching quite naturally because um, communicating uh, what I see into what people feel or vice versa is very easy for me. I'm a bit of a chameleon. I'm a bit of a uh, I'm very empathetic. Um, and so I think that that came quite sim simply to me. But most people I come across in well high paid jobs in high power roles dealing with some of the most explosive and most highest you know highest valuable athletes in the world um still struggle in communicating their ideas or um coaching essentially still struggle in being a coach they're really good sports scientists and they're really good physios or really good x y and z but they're not able to just communicate or create an environment that helps people learn really quickly.
Um, and, and so that's really what my some of my life goals have become um, because it's quite easy for me. Hey, but I'm dyslexic. There are some things that I'm not good at. Um, and there's some things that I've learned from those guys and, and, and actually um, built some really good friendships because there's a lot smarter people than me. Um, but, you know, we all have our own gifts, I guess. No, no doubt about it. But I think that it is somewhat crazy, right, that these people in the best jobs out there at times are the ones that struggle the most when it comes to actually teaching motor learning and such. Yeah, well, I guess it depends on, on the job description. Hardly any jobs will or hardly any industries will put motor learning and communication uh, or at least coaching as a high um, high priority within their job description. You know, there are lots of other things in in an interview that will matter more than that. And some of it might be the fact that you're a friend of a friend <laughs> before even your skill sets, or it might be that you went to a certain university, or it might be that you're an ex-player. Um, there are so many other things that create fiefdoms that, that kind of um, take away from actually what are the qualities we really need. And in some industries, those qualities are not actually valued. They're, they're not valued um, in the culture, even if they are important, they're not valued in the coach. There, there are many, many successful coaches um, in team sports and in individual sports that are successful because they recruit really well. So a lot of the players that come to them um, have already uh, often already have those skill sets so, that, so they don't need to be coached necessarily, or they are very good at deciphering um, what other people mean in what they say so they don't get confused by bad coaches um you know there's an article i think on martin boucher's uh new new website where, where he has articles I'm, I'm really bad on names and stuff but there was an article from a handball coach that basically was it, i think it was a bit of satire but it was basically saying something like why bother with speed coaching just buy the best players and actually that, that's often the case that's often the case. Most of my consultancy in team sports, um, especially long-term consultancy, is with teams who don't have a lot of money, who can't buy the best players, or teams that have a bit of money, but the owner or the chairman or, or the mission statement of the team is to develop their players, develop their academy players so they can be sold, or develop a, a homegrown team, 50% of the team being homegrown or something like that. And so these teams and these cultures really value the development of their players. But actually, there's a lot of teams and a, and a lot of cultures that are just like, well, if you can't do it, I'm going to buy someone that can. Um, so often, I think that practitioners can get away with not being able to coach or not being able to be highly skilled and knowledgeable in motor learning because it's not really valued within their industry. No, and that's really like essentially the awesome capitalism that is pro sports, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it doesn't make what we do good, bad, or indifferent. It just, you know, if you if you can't beat them, buy them. If you can't beat them, buy them, yeah. Or if you haven't got the time, or if you don't believe, you know, often um, it's said in soccer over here that players can't get faster after the age of 16 or after the age of 18, which is a complete joke. Um, it, but if you look at the mass numbers of football players who, uh, especially if they've gone through the academy system and they get timed on a regular basis, there's a large database and you do see this massive lull of um, of speed no longer increasing after a certain point. 
I'm sure it's got something to do with maturation, but I also think it's got to do with the fact that, well, when maturation no longer is the primary stimulus for the increase in speed, that actually coaches start to get um, start to get seen for what they're doing and maybe what they're not doing. Well, yeah, I mean, that just makes sense, right? Like you're you're just riding puberty's coattails, <laughs> and then all of a yeah. sudden, when you have to get somebody better at something don't make excuses for what's going on here figure out a way to make these young men better because it's not even at 17 it shouldn't be hard uh, i know a really good biomechanist called um paul bryce and he talks a lot about uh, well his phrase is everyone can get faster but not everyone can be fast um, and so the, the reality is I have masters athletes come to me or I have I have forwards in rugby, some of the biggest players that are in the rugby game who they just assume they can't be fast uh, or they, they they assume they can't be reactive or be explosive or more explosive. They just think it can't be taught because it's not something they've been they've been told they can develop. They, you know, they're known for being big and bulky um, and uh, perhaps have never been given the confidence to believe they can. But I've I've worked with some 120 kilo, six foot two guys who have increased a tenth in, or, or re- reduced their 10 meter time by a tenth or their flying time or have, have been able to run nine, nine and a half meters per second. And you say you would you would wonder, wow. Um, but it's, it's first the belief. And the acceptance um, uh, that they are able to be faster, that they are able to be more economical. Um, once you get that into them, then then they're easy to coach. In fact, there's lots of low-hanging fruit with those guys. If you gave me a team of 15 um, rugby players, I think I could get more out of the forwards than the backs, which is uh, which is um, sometimes a bit counterintuitive. Well, and I think too when you bring up biomechanics. I think that that's something, like you said earlier, where a lot of us in this corner of the world of sport have been a little bit left behind, where our ability Mm. to look at and find the low-hanging fruit in the movement to start that ball rolling, because the the best Mm. way to get buy-in is to give them a result early, right? Yeah. Yeah, straight away. Straight away. Most of the times you, you can get you can get a especially team sports, you can get a player in and you can automatically make them buy in and believe that this is the right path um, by just teaching them some tricks of the trade, teaching them some um, just like I think a lot of the time our body is great at compensating and we can cheat. We can cheat to make ourselves feel lighter. We can cheat to create a bit more power. Um, we can find loads of different ways in a session to cheat. And, and a lot of that cheating is just by um, turning off our uh, safety mechanisms. A lot of the time, when, you know, you start, a, you start a session and just by giving someone some mobility through their, through their spine, some disassociation, getting them to be able to um, activate their glutes without having access, um, excess lumbar extension. Um, how to uh, create plantar grade, how, how to create a, a neutral ankle um, and how to get all of the foot um, intrinsic muscles and ankle uh, stabilizers to be on and be awake, um, how to uh, get lots of good co-contraction and get the quad and the, ham- or the posterior chain and the anterior chain to find its timing so that when it's time to hit the ground, everything is contracted, but then quickly everything relaxes. Some of those tricks of the trade um, 
just make it really simple and acceleration sometimes it's just getting people to turn off on you won't turn off your fear of falling but to ignore or to utilize their fear of falling so that they can displace their center of mass even further away from themselves um those are those are really simple tricks that make people feel faster move faster challenge themselves outside out of their normal comfort zone and automatically you've got them you know you you, you know you, you got you had me at hello you know you, you that that gets them to go okay wow okay this is different to usual i not just you told me it was different i didn't just try something i felt it it sounded different i moved quicker um i i, I moved further um i i created scary angles um i spent more time in the air and less time on the ground um so getting these guys to buy in is really important um as for your 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 prior point about biomechanics leaving us behind i think sometimes it's been overcomplicated. i think it's really easy to sell loads of courses and to get lots of followers and likes by um by mystifying sprint training but i my uh, so my goal is almost the, the counter to that I, I like to demystify sprint training when i tell people on our courses that look these three things projection reactivity and switching that's all you need to know and everything else is going to is going to stream down from that but it's always going to come back to this umbrella term people say no way i was with the lta last week with a with a, a bunch of a really good group of coaches um and actually by the end of it they're like yeah okay yeah works it makes sense it works it takes it, it maybe takes an hour to describe in different ways why it works and how simple it is and give them lots of examples Samples, um to get them to go okay well yeah actually it applies in my field it applies in in our environment um but once you've got that yeah it's pretty easy um so i think we want it to be complicated we 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 can't believe that running very fast is simple because when we try to do it as individuals we realize how difficult it can be but everyone can get faster not everyone can be fast everyone can get faster um, right you just got you got to demystify it all yeah, and it's not that saying that it's simple doesn't mean it's not complex. Mm. Exactly. But I think things that are complex seem um, uh, like you can't control them until you break them down into their parts and put them into in connected uh, into connected parts. I think when they when they, when it feels com too complicated is when you can't see the puzzle. But if you start with the corners and then build in. Um, I saw uh, it's really weird. I, there was a, a love a, a love film on BBC One the other day, so it's really weird that I'm bringing it up. But um, he talked about when you're when you're in a bit of a puzzle and you've got a puzzle in front of you, start with the corners and then collect all the blue bits. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. It's like okay, start with what you know is the the, the extremes, the ends of the bandwidths, and then start to collect things that are similar, it's things that make sense. Um, and then actually when, once you start to do that, you start to realize the pitch is pretty simple in front of you. It's just you had all the broken bits and maybe they were upside down and in the wrong order. And because of that, um, you, you were confused. But, you know, for me, um, our training menu, kind of our, our philosophy, how we look at the world and look at training um, helps us put all the bits into order, put them in the right way around um, and kind of gives us a bit of a map of the territory. I love that, man, because then it's just like identifying the problem, starting from there, and then working the way out from it. Yeah, for sure. And each time you're given a new, a new, a new way of training, a new training philosophy, a new guru, super coach who comes up with some system, um, 
uh, Henk Krojenkov has got a, a, an article. It, it's probably four, five, six years old. It, it might not be, but it seems like it, it is because he's basically saying, you know, who's the next person to come up with this new way of training and this new philosophy of movement? Because whoever brings up this new one, I'll just refer back to something 60 years ago or 80 years ago, and you'll realise that it's just, it's just a reinvention of the wheel. And so I think you, you need a really good bullshit filter as a coach so that you can go, this might not be bullshit, but it's not brand new. Don't be intimidated by this new information because actually, boom, 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 this is what they're saying. And it's very similar to what we what we said over here. And it's very similar to this other guy. It's just he's he's looking at it from the top down and we're looking at it from the bottom up. Or, you know, I always say in a crowd of people, especially if I'm facing an audience, if I draw a W on the floor, I see a W, but you as the audience see an M. And that, that's just a recognition that we could be talking about the same thing, but our perspective is different. So we're now bickering. We're now bickering online about what is coaching, what is teaching, when actually it's all the same stuff, guys. It's all the same stuff. But we want our semantics. I'm a dyslexic. So I, I, semantics to me um, go over my head. Things that are similar are similar. E's and freeze are, <laughs> are the same to me. Q's, P's and D's can be easily... Uh, easily um, mistaken for me but I think as a result it allows me to look at things and go okay that's similar to this so I'm going to put it in the same box it's not going to confuse me I'm going to put it in the same box if we if we dial down to the real nitty-gritty detail yeah we may describe it a bit differently but if we took a step back from it we're, we're going to see the forest for the trees and we're not going to become confused by this new information or we're not going to um, become intimidated by this new information and I think that's an important um, aspect that maybe, you know, maybe three or four years into my into my journey, I started to realize. I love that, man, because at the end of the day, like, first of all, Hank is awesome. He's one of my mm. favorite people on the planet. And Bob Alejo has said the, the same thing where he talks about, tell me what they call it today and I'll tell you what we called it 20 years ago. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but I love that, man. And understanding, though, that vernacular is important and us being mm. able to communicate is important, but mm. fighting over whether it's coaching or teaching, like, yeah, we might need to get a life. Yeah, and I think, I think when, you're, when you get deeper into the fight of, between different systems or different vernacular, you start to understand people's personal reference. And then you start to understand why they're saying what they're saying um, and start to understand the, a bigger meaning behind it. And, th and then actually you've learned something um, that, you know, they don't want to call it this because this old coach or this this environment they used to be in used to call it that. And actually it meant that lots of other things came along with it. So, so I get that. I understand that. Um, but again, I don't want to get lost in that. No, because losing the forest for the trees is, is never a good thing. But, Jonas, let me get you out of here on this, man. Where can people see what you're doing? Where can they find out more about what's going on out there? Um, so, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm, I'm not always the guy posting. I, I have some other guys, my wife, and some guys at work with us doing it. I'm, I'm not always good on social media. Um, but, you know, we've got a website. We've got a, a, a bunch of great workshops coming up in the autumn. We've got 10, 10 weeks of of Wednesday evening workshops with a great group of speakers, um, different guys and girls each week. Um, and, and uh, you know, we're going to invite people to come and, and learn from from professionals and pracademics from different environments who are all coming to kind of help people figure out transfer, how you can take what you're learning 
um, and how you can take your philosophy and make sure you develop your coaching eye so that what you're developing in, in, in one environment transfers to the most important environment. So those those transfer seminars or our 10 weeks of seminars are going to be launched soon. Um, some of it will be available online. Um, but we are, that's going to be based up in Loughborough and we're really keen to get as many people to come um, and learn and, and to network. Um, in the meanwhile, we've got Adarian Bar coming in August. Um, he's doing a bit of a, a roadshow over England and, and also visiting Dublin. Um, and we've got Tony Holler coming um, in September to do the similar kind of roadshow. Um, and those those guys, listen, if I've got any guys coming over for workshops, for seminars, it's really because I want to learn from them myself. They're, they're guys that are familiar to me or have similar philosophies um, and, and are saying something a bit different, saying something that's making me think. So if they make me think, I think other people should want to want to hear from them. So we've got those guys coming over um, and, and then our, our autumn series will, will be published soon with, with all of our great speakers. So guys, find me online, find me on Twitter, find me on Instagram, um, eat, sleep, train or speedworks.training. Um, happy to, to get back to any DMs or any, any emails or anything like that. Love it, brother. Keep up the great work, my man. I truly appreciate it. And thank you so much for your time today. No, good to have it. Good to be on. And, and uh, guys, I, I I love your stuff. I've been listening to it for so long. Like I said before this, hearing your voice kind of made me think, oh, are we on the phone or am I listening to a podcast? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm honored to be involved. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch real soon. And a huge thanks to Jonas Dodu for spending the time with us today. Guys, just some open, honest, candid sharing from a man really leading from the front when it comes to getting athletes faster and getting them back onto the field. I can't thank Jonas enough for his time today. There are a billion nuggets in this talk. This was absolutely sensational. Jonas, can't thank you enough for your time, your open, honest, and candid sharing. And on top of that, all that you're sharing with us through social media. So guys, make sure you hop over to Twitter and Instagram. Give them a follow at, at sleep, excuse me, at eat sleep train underscore that's at eat sleep train underscore on both twitter and instagram give him a follow he's putting out great stuff and as always if you did enjoy the talk please share it through the social media outlet of your choice facebook twitter instagram whatever it may be as always we're just trying to get the best information out to all the great coaches that we can and as always guys thank you for everything that you do for us here at central virginia sport performance we will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.